in winter would bring you down forever but you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun it's hard to talk over this and the colors of the sea your eyes with trembling mermaids and you touch the distant beaches with tales of rain Ulysses how his naked ears were tortured by the sirens sweetly singing for the sparkling waves are calling you to kiss the white lace legs. but we do what we must Episode 106 of The Brian Oak Show is underway, and thank you so much for tuning in as we record live here in the Smart Start MN Studios, gorgeous South Minneapolis on a very snowy, wintry November day here in the Twin Cities. My name is Brian Oak. I'm joined by Sean Bernard. Sean, how does the day find you? It finds me well. Okay, very good. I can't hear you? you very well. Do you? You should. You should crank that up. Like, give me some DB. How's that? Better. Better. Okay. Closer. I'm warmer. on a different mic right now because of our fantastic guest here. Uh, I. I don't. Here's the deal. As a guy who can't ever stop talking, every once in a while I find myself <laughs> at a loss for words. I don't really know where to start when it comes to introducing today's guests. Today's guest is a man who his legacy cannot be overstated. His experience and breadth of talent and exposure and ex- experience cannot be overstated. And I'm a little nervous to start talking to him because he's seen things that most of us can only imagine. And I am, so I'm just going to start here. I'm deeply honored wildly interested in what we're going to talk about and really, really excited about the fact that we're all here together on the same day that we are joined by Cornbread Harris on The Brian Oak Show, episode 106. Cornbread, hello. Hello. It's nice to see your face and it's very nice to make your acquaintance. Nice to be seen and I'm glad you glad to that you want to be acquainted with me. (laughs) (laughs) You can't be surprised by that, though. I mean, before we get into talking about your legacy and who you are and what you've done and all the things that you embody, and, you know, I I, I like to consider myself someone who has not been able to make music but has intentionally stayed close to music as a profession for so many years because I, I get it, like, you know, there are people who make music for other people and then there are people who make the music that make those people move it is a it's it's an important sort of symbiosis it's an important sort of uh, circular legacy the nature of what exists um I'm I'm just excited to to meet you. So I don't even really know where to start. Your your bio and who you are starts so far back. You were born in 1927, so you've witnessed mm-hmm. many of the important and major things that have happened and influenced us as a culture. But you've also been also been there for so much of the music that has informed who and what America is right now. You were 93 years old, and very recently you spent mm-hmm. you, you celebrated your 93rd and a half birthday yep. at the Hook and Ladder, the Hook Stream. We mm-hmm. live in such weird, unprecedented times right now, but you've watched you've watched all of it unfold. Let's I guess let's start at the beginning, if you don't mind. Tell mm-hmm. me where you're from. Chicago, Illinois, uh, Cook County Hospital, uh, 
That's where I'm from. That's where I was born. So I guess that's where I'm from. And I know that you were orphaned very early. And, uh, you know, to tell the full story is as dramatic as an origin story gets. And you found your way to the Twin Cities because after uh, a young childhood of various foster homes, you found more family and you found your way back here to the Twin Cities. Is that right? You're, you're running, uh, you must not have much time. You're running it all together here. Oh, okay, <laughs> then, then you know what? Then, but here's the deal. That's why you're here. You slow me down. You tell me the earliest parts you want to tell me. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So I managed to live with my parents till three years old, at which time they went to see the maker. My dad was a gambling man. And I mean, a gambling man. I mean, he knew how to count cards, you know, how to stack dice. He knew how to do all that stuff. And so he made a living for the family gambling. And uh, Which, by the way, that that's a loser's game. Like, very few people can make money as a gambler. Oh, yeah. Well, the problem is he made money as a gambler, and then the people who he won the money from got angry. And uh, they did like the Joyce uh, Ford thing. Uh, uh, instead of trying to right the wrong, that what they thought was the wrong, they just went out and did violence. Mm. And so they did violence on my dad by being t- taking him away from the earth. Right. Yeah. And then your mom, as a result of that, also went to meet her maker. Yeah, she just could not stand to be away from... Such a sweet guy, I guess, but <laughs> I don't know. That love thing is kind of scary. Uh, but it kind of drives us all, right? I mean, you as a, as a student of the blues, that's kind of a one of the the main the main cornerstones of the blues, right? Yeah, love. that's yeah. I always talk about my baby did this, my baby didn't do mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. my baby left me, on and on. It reminds me of country. Only they they get uh, all excited about. Your car not starting in the <laughs> <laughs> the rain coming down on their head when they didn't have their umbrella, and <laughs> which is a version of the blues, but maybe not the worst version of the blues. So you lose tragically your parents at a young age, and you find yourself an orphan in <laughs> Chicago in the earliest part of the '30s. I mean, we're talking post depression. These are hard times. Yes, yes. And uh, so p- people found out they could make money taking children in and then having the government pay them for having the children. So uh, I don't know. It must have been federal because I don't think it was. It couldn't have been state because I went to so many different cities in so many different states uh, until 13 11, 12, 13 years old. Do you remember a lot of, a lot about those times? Quite a bit, because I had to be the man of the family from four years old on, because uh, I, my sister was with me, and they didn't separate us. So I had to become the man of the family right away. Boom. That's a lot of work early on. Oh, man. It's a big responsibility. It's, yeah, because yeah, I'd have to keep an eye on the people who were supposed to be taking care of me so I could take care of my sister. So I, I, I learned how to be observant. And uh, 
to warn my sister to don't say this or, you know, don't do that. If they tell you this, do what they say do. And, you know, and uh, I, I got my uh, initial thing from God. I, I, he just gave me, you know, uh, uh, like I said, oh, that's so terrible that happened to you. Oh, that's so terrible that happened to you. Oh, and on and on. Uh, every one of them things I find in my young uh, second childhood, I find was a blessing because it helped to build me. And so I was in Detroit, Michigan, Omaha, Nebraska, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, St. Louis, the, uh, or another one, is there another St. Louis? Okay. But anyway, uh, finally Minneapolis and St. Paul in foster homes. Uh, when I went to Minneapolis, I was in a foster home that the people knew my grandparents. And was wow. that was that just a coincidence? A coincidence. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. And they got you back with your actual family. Yeah, they got me back with my actual family in St. Paul, uh, 1144 Hand Avenue. Uh, nice guess of Virginia now, you know, because they were kind of incorporating the little cities around all into the one big city. And so they changed the names of the streets as they were going along. So uh, when I lived there, it was Hand Avenue. By the time I left, it was Virginia Avenue, same street. So anyway, uh, my my grandparents took care of me then, uh, and I went to St. Bernard's School. And uh, being half, being... uh, Oh, bull-legged and crippled born, I didn't ever think nobody would ever want to take me in, you know. But I ended up going to many hospitals. I finally ended up in Gillette Hospital, and uh, they broke my legs and broke them and put them in the cast. Broke them to fix them, right? Broke them to get them back in the ship, right. And they kept doing that until I could finally walk. And... uh, so now I'm by my grandparents' house and I'm able to walk a little bit. And so when the army was had that guy pointing at everybody, I want you, Uncle Sam. Uh, absolutely, Uncle Sam kept pointing at everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, I had made it by that time to high school. Because uh, St. Bernard's was a great school, and uh, I decided I'll go in the army. So, because my grandparents, I was a load on them. And uh, since they were family and they were taking care of us, it would be cheaper for them to just take care of my sister. And if, I'd, if the government would be paying me. So, uh, like I say, God had these blessings. This, I mean, he must, I think he calls his the angels together. He gets them all together. And he said, now here, uh, I want all you guys to be Santa Claus. <laughs> I want to fill your your bundles up with blessings. And I'm going to send you out. And then you go to wherever I send you, and you drop blessings on those people. And when you get by the Cornbread house, 
drop a whole bunch of blessings <laughs> on him. I mean, <laughs> now, now, Cornbread, before you go any further in your personal <laughs> story, you, you've moved to your late adulthood right here, your late childhood, early adulthood. I want to know, though, because at some point, given your musical legacy, at some point, music, you know, it, it, all this hardship, all this not knowing who your family is, not knowing who you are, I know that it's somewhere in there, music becomes important to you. Who are you listening to? Who are the earliest people that you're like, well, A, that you heard, but B, who are the earliest people you're like, oh, this is me. This is this is what I have to be. Who who are the earliest musical influence that help in, that inform who Cornbread Harris comes to be? Tom Mix. Tom Mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. Okay. Uh, there was two pretty uh, cowboy singers, because that's my first music that I come in contact with it, and I loved it. Uh, that's why I was able to spot out at the beginning of the thing. Uh, like a Hank Williams or somebody? Or? Yeah, Hank Williams. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I hated when the kids came in trying to play music. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I mean, because cause Papa was killing it. And uh, so uh, uh, Hank Williams, Roy Rogers, mm-hmm. uh, that, I, I, that's what I listen to. And uh, as I begin to branch out from the house where I lived at uh, Virginia Avenue, and I used to go over what they call Crosstown. I had to cross University Avenue, you know, from my side of town to their side of town mm-hmm. by the milk company there. And uh, I got over there to the pool hall, and their music was totally different than the music on this side of town. How was it different? The jukeboxes, uh, they had the country music on this side, and over on that side they had the blues and the, mm. and the, and the Negro music. In like the records were called race records. I remember. And uh, well, I wasn't there, but I've read the stories. Yeah, I've yeah, heard. Okay, okay. That, well, it, the true, the true story. I can vouch for it. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, I started listening to that, and so that's where I come up with the BB King thing. Mm-hmm. And this, this, uh, I said, wow, listen at this guy uh, playing this blues, and then the guitar was singing and talking. I don't, I never heard nobody play a guitar like that. In the country, people I never heard, nobody play a guitar, because most of them would sit there and then chords all over the place, and I didn't understand what that was, but, but I, heard, I heard it, I listened to it, I thought it was great, until I heard the blues. When I heard B.B. do the blues, I said, now that's that's my kind of music. So, I went and got a, a blues book. Uh, at uh, mm, 10th Street, downtown Minneapolis. The, the music on the wall. Oh yeah, I know where you're talking. Over about. on Second Avenue. I don't yep, know what was yep. there, but I know I know where that big mural is. Yeah. Yeah. The name of the the. It wasn't a Schmidt, was it? Miss <laughs> Music. Is it okay? Yeah. Yep. Yep. In fact, I still got the doggone book. It's 
falling all apart. <laughs> I got it. And uh, I keep asking people to get me another new one. Nobody's done it yet. <laughs> uh, by the way, that's a shout out to everyone listening to the Brian <laughs> yeah. Oak Show. This so, is Cornbread Freaking Harris. You get him a copy of that book. Yeah, yeah. So I don't care if I get 100 books. It's okay. You know, <laughs> don't hold back just because you think somebody else sent one. Yeah. 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 So you saw them the on the internet. And, and <laughs> you hear the blues and suddenly there's this explosion inside of you. When's the first time you touch an instrument? How do you come to, I mean, every, anyone who's seen you play piano knows that this is something you've spent a lifetime building a relationship with. When's the first time you touch a piano? Okay, my grandparents decided that when I finally got from my foster home to them that I needed, um, oh, sophistication. Oh. Oh, I, I hate these big words. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me have to stop and think. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway uh, so they sent me to, like I say, St. Bernard School. And the nuns were teaching music at the school to the, the, the kids. But I didn't like the way they taught. How so? Well, you would be playing okay, and then you would, you'd miss a note, and you'd feel this terrible sting on your hand. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Pow! I said, whoa, whoa, what's this? <laughs> whoa! Yeah. yeah. Uh, you made a mistake. I said, I know I did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need no extra help. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't need no extra help to know that I made a mistake. So, so anyway, uh, I put up with that, I don't know, five weeks or whatever. And then I started uh, lying and stealing and cheating with the, with the um, money that I was supposed to pay for the lessons. And went to the store and bought candy and popcorn and ice cream. And That's very rock and roll of you, by the way. Yeah, also well, very blues of you. Yeah, and I, uh, uh, naturally, if you got money at that age and you were giving stuff away, you had a lot of friends. So I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't have, uh, so that's another lesson I learned, too. But uh, Word to the wise, go ahead and rewind and listen to that right there. <laughs> Give your candy away to friends, and candy can take whatever form you like. Don't ever stop making friends because friends make a difference. Yes, they do. Mm. And they made a mm. difference there for a while. And uh, <laughs> I think I got away with it for, I don't know, four or five weeks. <laughs> Pretty I good got, run. Not yeah. a bad run. And so I was off buying my candy and ice cream and stuff. And the teacher called the house and uh, said, uh, where's Jimmy? Them James Samuel Harris. Yeah, Jimmy. yeah. Yeah. Your actual name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my grandmother said, he's at music lessons. And the teacher said, no, he's not. I'm the teacher and he's... <laughs> <laughs> he is not here. <clears throat> so I got home <laughs> and she started letting me lie then. How did the lessons go? Oh, they went fine. Oh. I still got the same tune because, you know, they're so tough. And which, that part of those was truth. You know, I didn't, I made a mistake <laughs> or whatever, you know. And uh, 
I, I got to practice this one some more, same tune. So she didn't say nothing. She sent me off next week, money. I didn't go to the lessons. I went to the store. Okay. So I think a week or two after that, she said, look, did I know what you've been doing? And I'm going to tell your dad, your granddad. That was it. He was the, he was the uh, valedictor. No, no. <laughs> There's another one in big words. Disciplinarian? Huh? Disciplinarian? Is that Yes, what? yes. Who's, who's coming in with that one? That's me oh, that's over Sean, here to your left. Right over here. Yep, right Sean's over here. Sean's up over here. Sean's the producer, and he's yep, the one. straight left. Sean also fills in for me when I kind of miss a word. Oh, does he do that? Okay, good. Oh, my God. Sure I couldn't live without one of those. I'm sure, I'm glad, sure glad he's here. You're the one. I can use the backup. <laughs> I can use the backup. Appreciated. I have the, the, the explanation problem, but the actual happening, I can define it in the easy words. <laughs> and uh, disciplinarian, I got it. You got it. You nailed you it. You got it. You nailed it. What did he do? What did the disciplinarian do to you? The disciplinarian... Told me, your ma told me what you did. Uh-oh. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, you know, take care of it, you know. And then he just let it hang. He was a railroad man. He went out on the railroad. Yeah. And uh, and came back and went out on the railroad and came back and came out. And uh, he was a mulatto. So he, he got into where Negroes couldn't go. Uh, he was a conductor. He wasn't a waiter or yeah. a porter or any of that. He was a conductor. He, he told the engineer when the train was supposed to go, you know. But anyway, and then he all aboard. That's one of the things you hear. That, that's the person who does that. And then he makes sure everybody's on and he locks the doors. And I don't know, he pulls the chain like they do on the bus or whatever. Yeah. And the engineer knows, okay, it's safe to go. And uh, he'd go out on these trips to the coast or wherever and come back and go out and come back. And I had to suffer every time he would come back because I figured this is it. <laughs> and he didn't do it and he didn't do it and he didn't do it. And finally I said, well, well he probably forgot about it now. Shoot. <laughs> just about the time I started thinking that way he said go downstairs go downstairs yeah the basement yeah okay so I went down the basement and I stayed down the basement he came down the basement with the razor strap oh oh boy mm. oh boy yeah now nowadays if he'd have done that I could have had him put in jail yeah yeah yeah, but but not, not then. Not those days. Nope. Nope. The 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 parents were the disciplinarian of the children, and so anyway, he wore me out. He, if I cried, he said, "Shut up." And if I didn't cry, he said, "Oh, you ain't gonna cry." Oh. So it didn't make no difference. <laughs> <laughs> it was what coming. I did, yeah. yeah, I was gonna still get it, so I got it. <laughs> and then of course. <laughs> So that was good now because I wasn't going to get my fingers whacked no more. I didn't have to lie, cheat, steal, or nothing no more. And so uh, this is where I start figuring out already at that time what my blessings were, too. So uh, when the 
come back and hear me come out to play? Yeah, I can go out to play. I don't have to worry with this trying to hide and sneak and stuff no more. And uh, so, uh, oh, I, and I was progressing pretty well. I got to so I could run a little bit. Uh, On the piano? Uh-huh. On the piano? Run from the piano. No, no, on the piano. Do some runs on the piano. Well, I I could play that song. I'll see. Da 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 uh, long, long ago. There you go. That's the title of the song. Is that what he was asking? Yes. I think so. Yep. Okay, good. And so I could play that song up and down, sideways, up and down. And so that's where, where my jazz shop started to come in. I had played the song so much, I tried to reinvent it a little bit. And then pretty soon I'm playing that, da 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 Da, 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 you know, oh man, and it, okay, so uh, I'm get uh, high school. Uh, I played it wherever I found a piano. Kids would gang around, you know, and they had like piano in the hallway or something. I got in trouble, you know. The sign went up: "Do not touch this piano." Which which <laughs> pianos were made to be touched? <laughs> yeah. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, well, that's what they they had the sign up there, right? Yeah. Do not touch this piano. What high school did you go to, Cornbread? Washington. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, we're right up the hill from Rice Lawson. Yeah. Okay. Playground or Rice Street, going like from McCarran's to the Capitol. Sure. You know that red right along there. Oh, and this microphone, I'm hitting it all the time. It's really close. It's okay. We have to keep the mics close, but don't you ever stop moving your hands around because <laughs> when when Cornbread took my arm to come in because it's a snowy, wintry South Minneapolis day as we record this uh -huh. and got him up and I'm getting him up in the elevator up to our second floor Smart Start MN Studios here and I said, now we want to play some of your music. He's like, well, you got a keyboard up there? I'm like, you know, we don't even have one that says do not touch on it. We, we, <laughs> we got nothing up here, unfortunately. Before we start talking about your transition from being a kid who music changed the direction of your life to where you become as an adult and you start playing and you play for for a very long time before we get to that i want to hear a little music and you picked out bb king and you mentioned how early on yes bb king changed the nature of what you did and when one looks back at the legacy of american music i mean bb king's importance to all of it of course but when i talk about you know, we recognize, especially back you growing up and you watching music as it evolves, it does mm -hmm. evolve differently in different regions. There's yes. there, the North Central region, the Southeastern region, the Western music. Yeah, I mean, that, different music was evolving at different times mm -hmm. in that era, yeah? yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, and B.B. King, so why do you think B.B. King remains an important figure in the history of American music? It, it may seem like an easy question, but I want to know your perspective. My perspective is... If you play music from your heart and your soul and it reaches the people, 
It reaches their heart and their soul. And if you have what is a hit song, it's not your fault. <laughs> it's their fault for falling in love with the song. Love that. And then they carry that with them. And I've, I've had families where the kids are singing my song because my grandpa played this song on the record player or my grandma played it uh, on on the radio or whatever. And, and uh, for you to be a very important person in the world, it's according to how many people like you, love you, want to hear what you do. It's, it, again, it's, it's not your fault if you just give uh, cheerfully. I mean, this is, oh, I'm back to the same thing again. The Lord loves the cheerful giver, and he blesses who he loves. And so I can give my music just, yeah. Oh, you didn't charge enough, Cornbread. I, I'm not worried about charging. I want to play. I want to play music. Okay. And uh, you undersell yourself. I'm not trying to sell me. I'm trying to sell music. You know, so it's, it's, it's just a, uh, once that you get yourself straightened out in your mind that you're not going to be a money grubber, you're not going to be a miser, you're going to be kind to folks, you're going to be, uh, try to be uh, courteous and uh, accept uh, gifts that the people give you and remember to say thank you. Remember to say thank you. Uh, I, it's in the good book, so many times it's, it's, it's written that we're like when Christ would do uh, uh, a miracle on somebody and they'd leave and they wouldn't come back and say thank you. And so it's right there. You know, he don't like that when you don't come <laughs> back and say thank you. And so uh, if the Good Samaritan, uh, that uh, I don't know whether the fella ever got to thank the Good Samaritan for setting him up at the hotel and telling the innkeeper to pay for this guy. Mm -hmm. I'll be back around if he needs any more. You know, this is the way people are supposed to live. If, if, if everybody in the whole world would do this, they would be putting the world back together. That's a plug for my song. <laughs> and we're going to hear that good. song before this is over, <laughs> by, by the way. Well played, Cornbread, uh, well, no, well played. But again, it, 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 but the, the reward for the individual is in the act of giving itself. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. This is when you should be the happiest during the time that you're doing the giving. When, when, when the blessings come back, that's fine to appreciate them. But now you did now you gotta say thank you again. <laughs> yeah, you know? we're not we're not doing any of that right now. All we're doing is saying we'll be have we'll have more with Cornbread Harris just ahead, but first by his selection, a little BB King right here on the oh, Brian Oak Show. Thank you.
The sound that you're listening to is from my guitar that's named Lucille. I'm very crazy about Lucille. Lucille took me from the plantation. Or you might say, brought me fame. I don't think I could just talk enough about Lucille. Sometime when I'm blue, it seems like Lucille try to help me call my name. I used to sing spirituals, and I thought that this was the thing that I wanted to do. But somehow or other, when I went in the army, I picked up on Lucille, start singing the blues. Now when I'm paying my dues, maybe you don't know what I mean when I say paying dues. I mean when things are bad with me. I can always, I can always, you, you know, like uh, depend on Lucille. Sort of hard to talk to you myself. I guess I'll let Lucille say a few words and then. if you can feel it like I do. But when I think about the things that I've gone through, like, well, for instance, if I have a girlfriend and she misuses me, and I go home at night, maybe I'm lonely. Well, not maybe, I am lonely. I pick up Lucille. Bring out those funny sounds that sound good to me, you know. Sometimes I get to a place where I can't even say nothing. Look out. Sometimes I think it's crying. sing pop tunes like Frank Sinatra or Sammy Davis Jr. I don't think I still could do it. Because Lucille don't want to play nothing but the blues. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty glad about that. Because don't nobody sing to me like Lucille. Sing, Lucille.
put it like this. Take it easy, Lucille. I like the way Sammy sings, and I like the way Frank sings. But I can get a little Frank, Sammy, little Ray Charles. In fact, all the people with soul in this. Mahalia Jackson in there. A lot of you want to know. A lot of you want to know why I call guitar Lucille. Lucille have practically saved my life two or three times. No kidding, really has. I remember once I was in an automobile accident, and when the car stopped turning over, it fell over on Lucille, and it held it up off of me. Really, it held it up off of me. So that's one time it saved my life. The way, the way I, I uh, came by the name of Lucille, I was over in Twist, Arkansas. I know you've never heard of that one, have you? <laughs> and one night, the guy started a ball over there, you know, started brawling, you know what I mean. And the guy that was mad with this old lady, when she fell over on this gas tank that was burning for heat, the gas ran all over the floor. And when the gas ran all over the floor, the building caught on fire and almost burned me up trying to save Lucille. <laughs> oh, oh I, uh, I imagine you're still wondering why. I call it Lucille. The lady that started that brawl that night was named Lucille. <laughs> and that's been Lucille ever since to me. One more now, Lucille. Can I do one more? 
Look out, Lucille. I think I'll try one more. Too many artists who transcend their genres. You know, I'm not a jazz guy, but there are certain jazz artists I can listen to. Mm-hmm. I'm not a deep blues guy, but there are certain blues artists who you don't have a choice. You shut up and you listen when they start playing <laughs> and you understand it. You get it. Whether or not you're like, ah, I'm not really a blues guy. B.B. King, you know, you not very many people get to write a 10 minute song about how important their guitar is to them. <laughs> Even fewer artists have labeled their, their the name of their their <laughs> artist their instrument and that you know who the hell they're talking about bb king is singular well not singular but among a very rarefied few in american music yeah. before we get back to our conversation with corporate harris i do have to mention our sponsors smart start mn smartstartmn.com slash brian oak show smart start mn is minnesota's originator they are the architects of minnesota's ignition interlock program they are the ones who help put together a process for those of you who have made an error Man, you want to talk about the blues. The blues <laughs> The blues is a genre founded on having made an error. That's why you have the blues. But it doesn't mean that you have decided you're going to do nothing but make wrong choices from this point forward. It means that you may have made an error, but you're learning from your ways. You may be singing the blues, but you don't have to live the blues. You can get back to driving sooner than you might otherwise expect with the good people from Smart Start MN. Yeah, you're going to meet some disciplinarians, uh, but it will oh. not be Smart Start MN. But go to smartstartmn.com. Slash the Brian Oak Show, you'll get 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock. Also, the good people at Busters and 28th, they are a local eatery and drinkery in southeast Minneapolis, and they are another sponsor of the Brian Oak Show, uh, and they're good friends of our show, and they make really genuinely incredible food, even in the takeaway format, but they also will let you take away beer and wine in this dark descending winter that is falling all around us right now. I know a lot of people are worried about the rise of corona cases and the fact that we're locking down more. We tried to loosen up and it turned out to be a bad idea. Nationwide, cases are on the rise. Things are going in the wrong direction. It's important to eat and drink well because, well, this is an unexpected journey. One day might be amazing. The next day might not be great, but at Busters on 28th, they have really good food and drink and they're good people and they've been long-term supporters here of the Show. You could get it like six days a week, seven days a week, not get the same thing. Yep. Do curbside to go. You're safe. You're helping out a local business. Yep. Okay. Maybe that's a little much doing it seven times a week, but hey, mm. go there one or two times a week. Fine. Support Busters on 28th, bustersont28th.com. And we ask you to support local businesses that support this show, but we ask you to support local businesses in general, and just as importantly, if not more importantly, local musicians, local artisans, because 
live music, you know, Sean and I, neither of us would be considered interesting or great musicians by any stretch of the imagination. But we have, we're, we're both deep music fans and going out and not being able to see live music is crushing. But for the artists who also feed off that, there's that, that symbiotic relationship between performers and the fans. Nothing else quite creates that. And Cornbread Harris, you, being 93 plus years old, you know, you just recently celebrated your 93rd and a half birthday. You've been doing this for a tremendous amount of time. And to this day, you continue to perform live. And it's still very, very, very important to you. How have you been? I mean, you've been playing live consistently, but now for the last few months, more than a few months, you know, the better part of 2020, not being able to perform out live, still able to do some live shows, some streaming shows, for instance, from the Hook and Ladder, where you did your 93rd and a half birthday. Hook and Ladder. But how are you, as, as an individual, how are you coping with not being able to have people right there swaying and shaping their hips and, and feeling what you just felt during that B.B. King song right there? Oh. It's hard, man. It's very hard. Very, very, very hard. Very, 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 very hard. Very Okay, really. <laughs> but 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 you I think I think what you're saying is important. Like, I mean, do you do you still play at home? Do you? I know I know doing doing streaming things. It's like that because you know people are out there enjoying it. But it's just not the same. There's something about live music. Before we before we get into the answer, the actual question I just asked. I'm going to change my question. When's the first time you played? As a, as a paid musician on a stage where you felt it, where there were people who clearly were, they'd left the cares of the world behind. They, they felt the things that music is supposed to make you feel. Do you remember the first time you were on stage doing that for people? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember the, the uh, club. Okay. But I remember they had a, a, one of those sandwich signs. They, they sit on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it, they had a, a, a extension cord running from it with a light shining on it. And they, so there I was driving up to this club with my name in lights. <laughs> and I went in there and I played White Bear, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it was, it's so beautiful. And the people just loved it. And, of course, it was one of my first times out in the public. Right. And my name was in lights, and I was playing for the people. And, uh, oh, from there on, it's just uphill. Can I ask a question? Um, and if it's not okay, it's not okay. Sometimes I ask awkward questions, but where does the nickname Cordbread Harris come from? That's pretty awkward. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, I told you, don't tell me that I could do that. I told you you can do anything you want. There well, are no limits on this show. If you want to tell me to shut my mouth, you're the guest. You can, you, shut you, your you're mouth, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, shut your mouth. Okay, now. Uh, <laughs> now, now it's my turn to talk. Uh, now, I'm going to let you say a few words. No, you don't shake your head no. I'm going to let you say a few words about what a question that you want to ask me and then cut off. And then shut it. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. How did the nickname Cornbread Harris come about? Okay. Uh, the nickname Cornbread Harris came by me fumbling around 
uh, with the piano. I was playing with uh, um, uh, Augie Garcia. I, I, I think Augie Garcia got, had a lot to do with my career. But anyway, I was fumbling around with it, and uh, they wanted to introduce me at the piano. You know, like, this is our, my piano player, blah, 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 blah. And uh, I had had a band before that called Huckleberry Finn, Cornbread and Friends. Well, they didn't mind being friends, but nobody wanted to be called Huckleberry Finn or Cornbread. They didn't want to be called that. So I said, well, uh, I somewhere I had written a song about it. Just I'm the only one who knew it at the time. And uh, the the best part of the song is is when it begins. That's the best part of the song. The rest of it is just uh, rock and roll chord, just bang, 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 bang. But once you, I hit that thing, and I I, I said, cornbread in the morning. And the people just, oh. I told them to put it in the earplugs because I was going to yell. Cornbread every night. Cornbread in the forenoon. Everything will be all right. And then it's just a rock and roll song after that. But it just took off (laughs) from there on. And then so I had to start writing... Uh, 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 cornbread. Who likes cornbread? Uh, the people, their jobs. Who likes cornbread? Uh, uh, different nationalities. Who likes cornbread? Different religious groups. Uh, till I even got down to Boney Maroney. You know? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Likes cornbread, and uh, that was one of the things that the people were supposed to be clapping, right? This is a marathon song, and before it's over, the people have given up. <laughs> They're not clapping no more. They're, I'm in this thing all by myself, but I just kept on going anyway. And finally, uh, I, I say, Scooby Dooby Dooby Scoo You Bop, Scooby Dooby 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 Dop, whatever weird thing like that. <laughs> Cornbread. And then I take a deep breath, and then I say cornbread again, only I see how long I can hold the note. And the people who have quit clapping, after I hold the note a minute, then they start applauding again. Yeah, that's all. And the birth of Cornbread Harris. You talk about your, so you start playing music and you're playing along and you become affiliated with Augie Garcia. And I only recently learned about some of the legacy of Augie Garcia. Mm -hmm. Augie Garcia asked to open for Elvis when Elvis comes to Minnesota. But Augie Garcia is, is... People think about Elvis, and again, it's important for those people of this day and age who are like, oh, no, I get it. Elvis is the king of rock and roll, I get it. But at the time, he was genuinely sensational. Mm-hmm. But if you could be someone like Augie Garcia, who was so dynamic and so unusual on stage that Elvis's people were like, look, we can't have you showing up, Elvis. <laughs> All right, we, we can't have you. Sh- settle it down just a little bit. <laughs> tell me about Augie Garcia, and tell me about you playing with Augie Garcia. Okay. 
Okay. Augie um, was a showman. I don't say he was that great of a musician, but he did know the blues chords, <laughs> and uh, he could play them right most of the time. <laughs> and uh, since he was the leader of the band, when he didn't play them right, we fell in on whatever he played. Didn't? Oh. That's how the game works, right? That's how the game works. Uh-huh. And so by me doing that, that that taught me how to do that with my group. When I got left Augie and to go my own group, uh, uh, Ice Blues Band, uh, Swing Masters, uh, like I said, Huckleberry Finn, Cornbread and Friends right. group. Yeah. So I played in, in the hos- uh, hospitals, prisons, uh, fraternities, uh, uh, Soldier Boy clubs, so the two or three or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I managed to talk myself into a hole here. What am I talking about? Augie Garcia? Augie Garcia. Oh, yeah, that's my buddy. Well, I just wanted to ask, <laughs> I mean, like, because like to to be deemed too sort of sensational to even open up where Elvis's people like, you need to settle down a little bit. Oh. So you're like, he didn't always hit his music right, but what was it about him that sort of led to, I mean, like, Rick, again, when you talk about the origin of rock and roll, it comes from so many different directions, yes, right? Yes, it does. There, there's blues, there's rock and roll, there's elements of jazz, there's there's elements of all these sort of youthful things where suddenly people feel that thing where they can't stop moving their body. That mm. that all sort of coalesced into rock and roll. Mm. What was it Augie Garcia did that, mm. that sort of led Elvis's people to be like, whoa, 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 if we could teal, put this back a little bit? Okay. Uh, I don't know. He went to some uh, land, well, Oh, north of England there, and uh, c- came back uh, wear Bermuda, wearing Bermuda shorts. And from that time on, that's what he wore on stage. <laughs> and uh, What was he wearing on top? Oh. Like a jacket just, with oh, Bermuda shorts? Oh, just a regular T-shirt and anything. Okay, okay. Yeah, but the Bermuda shorts was the big thing. Big old hairy legs. <laughs> You know, I mean, because because he was he was a, a lineman, and uh, he he had all this strength, and he just come out of the service, and he was climbing telephone poles and stuff. Right. So I mean, you know, he had a beautiful set of legs. He the girls <laughs> the girls like to see that, you know. Yeah. And so, but then he he showed off by dancing <laughs> on top of the piano. Oh, and you're playing piano. I'm playing the piano that he's dancing on. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm glad the piano makers made them pianos pretty sturdy. <laughs> oh, man. And then at the club that we got famous at, so Mendota, Minnesota, mm-hmm. the River Road Club, he would rock the railings uh, playing this one chord. You know, just, and the drummer he had was so tremendous until he could have had the whole show by himself. Uh, but this is the beginning of rock and roll in Minnesota, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then we would pack the place uh, three, four nights a week, pack the joint. And so that's how come, I don't know what you call, like I said before, you're not anybody until the people come in droves to see you pay 
willing to pay $2, $5, $10, otherwise you don't get in to see them, then when, and, and then you still pack the joint, that, that's, I'm telling you, it's their fault. I told you before. <laughs> and so you get this following. So he had a following that packed the joint two and three nights a week, and uh, we ended up going out on West 7th Street, played for Kit Can and uh, all the gangsters when they would come there for refuge from when they got to do their crime, and then they come here and get protected while they were here, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that they didn't mind it because they had all this money that they had stolen from there that they could spend here, you know. But anyway, uh, that's the biggest tips I ever got. I'll bet. <laughs> I'll bet. They, look, there's nothing wrong with taking a little gangster money, and you know what? It's, it's, it's their fault, not your fault. If you create something that someone falls in love with, what are you supposed to do, right? Yes, amen. Okay, well, let's hear a little music from Augie Garcia, a band that you came up with and really literally the beginning of Minnesota rock and roll. We'll come back with more from Cornbread Harris on The Brian Oak Show.
When it comes to rock and roll, especially we're talking back in the mid-50s, everything was so regional, and there would be songs that were hits locally that no one even maybe in Chicago or Indiana had ever even heard of. There'd be hits out on the West Coast no one here had ever heard of. It would go back and forth, and there we go to sort of the birth of Minnesota rock and roll. Augie Garcia and our guest, the legendary Cornbread Harris right there, on that pounding, driving piano right there. Cornbread in that era, in the mid-50s, especially here in Minnesota, I think it's an important question. Were there a lot of interracial bands back in the mid-50s? Yes and no. The interracial bands didn't get much play. <laughs> right. But uh, there were, uh, the musicians kind of stood up for uh, anybody who was being discriminated against. If The main thing was, did you have the talent to play the music? That's it later. Uh, if you were Chinese, Japanese, German, it uh, didn't make no difference to, to the musicians. I mean, a lot of owners were afraid to hire sometime because their audience wouldn't appreciate the thing. So yeah, there was quite a few. I mean, but you, but you would, you would have, I imagine, venues that were like, no, we just want good music here. But then I'm sure there were venues that are like, I don't know if we can have this here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I well, I lost one job for sure, uh, and maybe two, and then uh, I almost lost another one because they told me, don't have your friends coming over here. I mean, the friends that come over here are our customers that we've been having. Then it's, so don't, don't start bringing in these strangers of a different race into the place. And so whenever my people would say, oh, Cornbread, I hear you're playing at so-and-so, I said, don't come over there. <laughs> don't, please don't come over there. You make, it lose me, make me lose my job. And that's your gig. And then you have to choose between friendship and livelihood, and yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, you've lived through so many different eras and amount of tumult and craziness in America, and then here we are. We find ourselves, despite the sort of supposedly favorable results of the latest election, but there's there's something about the modern era, which I've had more than a few people tell me, is echoes of an old America that we had hoped we had put to bed. How do you feel about the world that we're living in right now? I mean, does it look familiar? Does it look like something you've never seen before? What, how do you feel about the world you're alive in right now? Well, one of the things I'm finding is the uh, world has been lying to itself and other people for so long until... The people who are not really in touch are getting this false information in their ear, and uh, other people never get any information in their ear at all. And then when it comes time to make a decision, they don't have the truth to base their decision on. So when somebody says, oh, isn't it terrible the way so-and-so had been mistreated, they're, they're what? What are you talking about? Oh, I never heard nothing like that. But when you get a, a George Floyd or, or mm. uh, another person uh, mistreated publicly, now that we have this fast news uh, transpositions, it gets it over there quick, uh, 
Now they're finding out, well, how come that happened? That's a big surprise. Hmm. This has been happening all the time, but it's been undercover. See? And so now that it got loose and the people uh, that feel like it should have been treated better, instead of them trying to make it better, they go out and make it worse. Because uh, destruction never has been something to build on. Destruction is something, if you're going to destroy, get it out of the way, keep it out of the way. It's and, sliding backwards. It's, it's different. We, we're at 48th in Chicago right now. That's where the Smart Start Studios are. Literally a mere 10 blocks north is where George, George Floyd was murdered. And I'm proud to live in Minneapolis. I'm proud of all the facets. I know that I'm a white kid who moved from the suburbs to live here, uh-huh. but I've decided that I'm going to listen and learn and keep my eyes open and learn. I'm going to be part of our mutual future and not part of our destructive and divisive past. Oh, thank you. Well, and, and But music is part of that, right? I mean, like music, like, so you saw in the 50s when a time when it was not okay, where it was still, it was still accepted to discriminate against who you are, against against people who were deemed differently or were not in power, never had the control, mm-hmm. and it's always been that way. Kids came together over rock and roll. Kids, when suddenly when music was there, when we were getting down to the essence, the, the very burning center of who we are and what made us feel alive and, and mm-hmm. create, that it didn't matter what anybody looked like or where anybody was from. We could do this thing together, and I know that that's the easy take for me as the white kid. But I also know that there, there, there's something at the center that's more important than what we look like or where we're from. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it, it, I ha- I'm hopeful for the future despite all the darkness and all mm-hmm. the sadness, all the destruction, mm-hmm. all the evil. There's a better tomorrow waiting, isn't there? I believe so. I, I, really think, we, I think we turned a corner. I, I, I mean, I hated this thing about Donald Trump this, Donald Trump that. He ain't a liar. He's a this and he don't mean nobody no good. And I mean, those kind of thoughts isn't helpful for the people to, to be carrying those kind of thoughts around like that. Uh, the conversation, you try to have a conversation, oh, well, uh, he told another lie today. I mean, this, I mean, no, no. Uh, I am a, oh, I know, biblical person I told you earlier. This just runs through my whole being. Mm-hmm. And so this is what shines through me. Not that I am any smarter, any greater than anybody in the whole world. Same. Is that see? It's God shining through me. He's the, he's the one that's causing your problem, making you think I'm so wonderful. See? <laughs> I'm just another human being. And I, 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 he gave me these blessings, and I'm able to do what he told me, use the blessing I give you. When you use the blessing that God gives you, he gives you more blessings. And when you say thank you, he gives you some more blessings. I mean, if there ever was a real lunatic in the universe, (laughs) it's God. <laughs> wow! Oh, blamo, <laughs> man, that's tattoo worthy right there. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that was good, cornbread. I don't know. That's just, 
the way I know. Well, once again, it was him talking, and you're just the vessel, right? Yes, I'm just yes and no, because I also, <laughs> when we played that B.B. King song, your hands didn't stop moving the whole way. You asked for a piano on your way up here. This is who you are and why people consider you a legend. We have to wrap up, and we didn't even scratch the freaking surface, unfortunately. I, want, I wanted to talk about your boy. I wanted to talk about the legacy of flight time. There's so much more of your career I want to talk about. Uh -huh. There's so much more about our mutual future and the healing that we have to go through, especially with this dark winter out in front of us ahead. But we're going to have to save that for next time. You, next time? You will come back again, won't you? Oh, uh, hook and ladder man? He's right behind you. Can we come back here again? Chris says, yeah. So he says, book oh. it. Okay. I don't know how soon, but we're going to have you back in because we have so much that we have to cover. Unfortunately, people in this modern day and age, their, their attention span is short and uh -huh. we have to sort of share our stories in digestible chunks. And an hour is about what we can test on people, but yeah. I cannot tell you how gracious it is. I, how grateful I am that you came by to share your stories today. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for your music, and thank you for your service in World War II as well. He was in the Army. Another thing I wanted to talk yeah. about, and Veterans thank Day was so yesterday. Much. I had so much I wanted to talk about. I feel like this is another one of those six-parters that we could have done, <laughs> which is why you have it's to promise man. to come back. I want to know about World War II. I want to know about your son and flight time. I want to know Ooh. about so much more, but uh -huh. I, feel like we, I, feel, I feel like we covered some good ground today, and Ooh. I feel like it was important important that we hung out today before we go sean you know i am supposed to give you 60 seconds to talk about your livelihood would you like to do it right now we'll do 10 okay wow yeah my song oh no we're gonna play your song in just a moment here yep but you said you wanted i mean like you know you are a realtor for Edina Realty. yeah if you're looking to buy or sell 612-859-2594 ask for sean why don't we do that every week <laughs> <laughs> bury bury my ad at the end of the show just yeah. kidding sorry about it. and in 10 seconds um <laughs> just kidding i love sean i'm very thankful i'm uh -huh. actually thankful for living in this community it really is someone asked me a long time ago well what your what's your podcast about i'm like I had no idea, but then listening back, it's about the stories of the people who live here. It's about the stories of the people who have done what they've done, whether in small ways, big ways, whatever way you want to view on it. The people who have made this particular chunk of the upper Midwest an important place to be and make some of us feel pride. Like, I'm, I'm always learning. I will never know everything about what it means to live in the Twin Cities, but I'm working on it, and I'm doing my best. That's the whole point of this podcast to me that I put my name on to to help shed these stories in whatever little way we're able to do it. I want to mention that, again, just under a month ago, Cornbread celebrated his 93rd and a half birthday. James Samuel, Cornbread Harris Sr. He was here. He was there at the, at the hook and ladder again, and I'm so glad they survived the melee and the chaos that descended on that neck of the woods not too long ago. He was there to celebrate his 93rd and a half birthday and to celebrate the release of Volume 2 of Cornbread Harris and Friends, which is available. Go to hookandladder.com to find the right links and more information we want to support cornbread also i'm looking here december 17th there is going to be a free live stream of what we previously 19th 
Oh, I wrote 17. Well, you know, my writing, it's it's indecipherable. It's like Sanskrit. It's a dead language. Nobody <laughs> really knows. December 19th, a free live stream. If you want to see that particular evening recorded for posterity, hookandladder.com to find out more. Or thehookminneapolis.com is actually a better place to go uh, and get the details there. Cornbread, um, as we leave, we're going to leave with one of your songs. You still love to play music, and I know you miss playing it live. I've seen you say as much in other outlets somewhere. What are we going to do moving forward we're gonna get back there right oh yes yeah I, I'm, I'm ready when they ask me dear uh for my social security and my unemployment did you play no <laughs> were you available to play yes and I, the whole list of questions uh every week they call me up and i just have to tell them the same answers you don't want the law coming after you, Cornbread. No, I don't. No, neither do I. <laughs> I I'm going to be honest with that. But you would love nothing more than to be able to say, yes, I did play last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. And they said, well, we can't send you no unemployment. I said, that's good. I don't want unemployment. <laughs> I want to play. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Cornbread, best to you, man. And I, come, please come back again soon. And I hope that that day comes that you can play again live. Now, we're going to go out on one of your songs right here. And this one, I think, inspired by by the world we live in that we were talking about. Yes. You know, you can't point your finger in one direction. These are pains the world has been feeling collectively for a long time. Mm -hmm. But then the answer is still the same as it's been for a long time time don't 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 let darkness in i mean don't don't let darkness win right darkness will always be there it will be yeah. part of the equation we have to do better we have to sit down and talk we have to learn from each other we have to be the better person Amen. and we and no matter how heavy the burden is we all have to lift it up and move it in the right direction mm -hmm. tell me about your song put the world back together put the world back together is a song that I believe it's uh, from Immemorial. I, I think it's the, uh, uh, a song that should go all over the whole world. It should be done in every language that can be done in. Mm -hmm. And my dream is to have the whole world sing it someday at the same time on commercial, television, radio, computer, whatever, all of them singing that song. Not, and then they don't have to say who wrote it. They don't have to say nothing about it except just sing the song. You know, and I just would like to have everybody in the whole world sing the song because that's what it says. Put the world back together. Not just Minneapolis back together, north side, south side. Not just uh, Twin Cities back together. Not just Minnesota back together, not just the five-state area back together. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, and I, as I could expand on this thing, we're we're members of the universe, and the, the thing of it is, uh, when uh, I did the music for the War of the Worlds, I thought the first thing we think of is that the the enemies are going to be aliens who are going to attack us or something. Just, just thinking is, is so off the chart. And being off of the chart that way is supposed to be a normal way to be. And it is not. It is not. We're people. We should talk one-on-one, -on -one, and we should try to figure this out. And also, even if you really think you don't love someone, just be kind to them. Kindness to me is, is it's the whole business right there. Yeah. 
Cornbread, I cannot thank you enough. It has been an honor to have you on, and I cannot wait to have you back on again. And um, good luck with the winter ahead, and I cannot wait to talk to you after your 94th and a half birthday celebration. In the meantime, though, if people want to check out that celebration, it happens December 19th. Go to thehookminneapolis.com to watch it for free. Cornbread Harris, I wish you the very, very best. Oh, thank you, and I wish you guys the very, very best. This has been really nice that you have had me to come over here. And run my mouth. <laughs> That's what <laughs> Thank we do you, sir. here. It's That's been a great what pleasure. we do here, and it has been wonderful to have you, the Cornbread Harris, here on the 106th episode of The Brian Oak Show. Haven't we had enough today? Did I hear someone say, let's wait? Why don't we get together before it's too late to put the word?